Welcome to Focus, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm David Sparks and joined by the esteemed Mike Schmitz. Hey, Mike. Hey, David. How's it going? I am doing well, and we have a fun topic for you today. Uh, We've been talking about flow state for a while, and we thought, hey, let's just do a show on it. So yeah, we're we're doing that. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons why I didn't want to do a show on flow state is because I'll sound even more hippie than I normally do. But also, <laughs> I am terrified by pronouncing Mahali's last name. Well, let me get it. I'll I'll make the mistake right away at the beginning here. Mahali right. cheek sent Mihali. I think that's how you pronounce it. I know some people say it Mihai, Cheeksent Mihai. Uh, I've watched many different videos and versions of people trying to pronounce this name, but this is kind of the the godfather of flow. And uh, we'll just call him Mihali. Uh, there we how go. How about that? Yeah. All right. Well, just to dive into it. So uh, flow is, uh, well, I, I guess, how are we going to define flow, Mike? Well, I'm going to define it the way that Mihaly defines it. He's actually got a, a book that was written on flow, but really the genesis of this, I think, is uh, a whole bunch of lectures and talks that he'd given on the, the topic previously. But I do recommend that book if you want a starting point to dig deeper into this concept. But how he defines it in the, the book is optimized experience. And I like that because I feel like that optimized experience or optimal experience is another version of that. That can apply to a lot of different arenas. And when people who are listening to a podcast called Focused typically think of flow, they probably think of it in a work context when they were really engaged with something that they were creating maybe, and you kind of lost, lost track of, uh, of time and you were just so absorbed in the, the thing that you were doing. But the truth is that you can apply that a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I think that moment, that thing you just said about losing track of time, to me, that is a key indicator that you're in flow, right? When you sit down to do a thing and you look up and three hours have gone by and you were lost in it. Um, I, people have said, I've heard people say, you know, are you in the zone? That's, I think, another kind of way people refer to this rather nebulous, this concept and Mahali didn't invent it you know this is something that i think has always been inherent in humankind uh, but it's something that he kind of identified and studied and gives us some waypoints and and leading indicators and ways to understand it more because i think uh, the flow state or flow or the zone or whatever you call it is something that's quite difficult to do in the modern world it is hard to do. And then it also is kind of contradictory to what we think we want. So kind of coupled with this whole idea of flow and the research behind it is the idea of what makes up a life worth living. What is a, a fulfilling life? And it kind of can all be traced back to this idea of happiness. And on page two of the flow book, Mihaly talks about how happiness is not something that happens. It's a condition that must be prepared for, cultivated and defended privately by each person. Now, the thing that ends up making us happy is not the things that are easy or the things that are feel that feel good. And that's where flow comes in. Uh, we're kind of wired to do hard things. And when we do those things 
and we can do them well, we get satisfaction from a job well done. And flow is the state that we find ourselves in that allows us to to do those things. Yeah, there's a um, there's a, con- a Chinese concept, Wu Wei, effortless action. I feel like that is the flow. That that's a you know thousands year old version of the flow. But but uh, to start with the payoff on this show, I mean, I guess the question is, if somebody's listening, well, why should I care about this flow? Well, I feel like the flow is is a wonderful state of being. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was talking about hippiness at the beginning of the show, but like I was thinking about it um, recently. It's like, I think I'm my most human when I'm in the flow. I feel like I'm least likely to have that inner voice sounding off when I'm in the flow. I'm least likely to have my brain get in the way when I'm in the flow. When you're in the flow, time stops and you're completely engaged with what you're doing. And that is, in a sense, like a drug high. Not in a drug high that you would get some kind of, um, you know, altered, you know, experience that drugs can give you. It's more of a drug high in that it's just such a great feeling of being in it. And when you finish it, you kind of wish you could go back into it, right? Yeah, and it feels good. Uh, and yeah. ultimately, that's kind of the the basis that Mihaly uses in the the book is he talks about how. Flow is important if you want to have a happy life. And he kind of frames it as enjoyment in one section of the book. And he talks about the eight components of enjoyment, which these are probably worth uh, going through real quickly because these you'll, you'll recognize where focus fits with flow as we talk through these. So first, it occurs when we confront the tasks that we can complete. It, it, we must be able to concentrate on what we're doing. The task has clear goals. The task provides immediate feedback. And then number five here, removes awareness and frustrations of everyday life because you're so focused on the thing that's in front of you. It allows people to exercise a sense of control over their actions. The sense of self disappears, but appears stronger afterwards. And the sense of, or of duration of time is, is altered. And focus is the tool that can help you to get into and stay in that flow state. Because if you think about all of the things that I just listed there, uh, ding from a, a, a message coming into your email inbox, that's enough to completely yank you out of that flow. And uh, it's really frustrating when that happens. So by practicing a lot of the things that we've talked about in, in on uh, on this show and really like the the case for why focus is is so important is ultimately it's the thing that's going to allow us to get into that flow state and ultimately that's going to lead to a, a happier existence and part of that is identifying where the things that you're engaging with are in alignment with your vision and your values and they have meaning and purpose i mean those things can also help you get into the the state of flow as well but uh, focus specifically is the thing that can eliminate the distractions and the uh, the the things that will pop up you know that could have been controlled you can't block out every potential interruption but if you are trying to protect your focus that can go a long way and in, in, in towards a long way towards you uh, protecting that state of flow once you're able to get there and then you're able to feel more satisfaction from a job well done on the other side it is really uh something that you you should aspire toward. In fact, I think one of the things I notice is that 
I naturally lend towards activities that that lead to flow. And that and I think the the distinction you made earlier, this is not just a work thing, it's it's a whole life thing. Like uh I would much rather uh goof off in the wood shop in the evening than watch TV. And the reason is I find and, and the specific way I do woodworking is is the most inefficient way you could do it. I, I largely do it with old fashioned hand tools but they make it super easy to get into flow because you have to be completely engaged. You've got this surgically sharp thing in your hands and it takes a high degree of concentration and you sit there and you do it and time just kind of disappears. It's so much more satisfying than watching the bachelor, you know? And, um, <laughs> and so I think one of the thoughts I had kind of leading today's show is, subconsciously once you start to to get an appreciation for flow whether even you ever heard of it or not but just the experience of it how often do you start picking things to pursue that get you that that flow state just because it gets you that flow state yeah one of the things that uh we talk about in the life theme cohort is these moments of impact i call them but they're the moments in your life where you really came alive. And most of the moments that people identify are the things that were the result of a flow state. And that flow state was triggered by them doing something that they didn't really think they could do. It was kind of just beyond their current capabilities. And they got so absorbed in trying to figure out how to do it that that's that triggered the the flow state. And then afterwards they're kind of shocked and amazed that they were able to to do the thing. And that's kind of what me, Mihaly is talking about with uh, all those different steps, but uh, kind of also a, a supplementary idea to this uh, is if you are seeking out those things that are a little bit beyond your ability, that's going to force you to grow. So personal development and uh, personal growth, I feel are also very much tied to this idea of the, the flow state. And if you have that growth mindset, you're probably more naturally engaging with the types of activities that can trigger flow. And I want to get into that question of triggering flow and how do we do that. But before I do, I want to talk about why this is more relevant now than ever in human history. Because I feel like in the modern world, flow is a much more difficult thing to obtain than it was in the you know hundreds of years ago like you think back like people could read a book back then and they never had twitter right <laughs> or they could go out into the wilderness and it was a much more natural life it, it wasn't so tied into technology and it was much more tied to the changing of the seasons the you know the cycle of the earth the cycle of the sun and the moon and i think flow state is an outgrowth of some of that I told you I'm going to be hippie today, guys, so just bear with me. But I do think, you know, we've got this cornucopia of interruption heading at us and digital distractions and digital delights. I mean, it's fun to look at videos of puppies. Uh, but at the same time, all that stuff gets in the way of of obtaining flow state. So I think it's a much more rare occurrence now just because the conditions are hostile toward it. You think I'm uh, I'm off my rocker here? No, no, you're not at all. Uh, and the flow state really has uh, little to do with how we would typically 
value the activity because a lot of the analog things that you were talking about, the things that are inefficient, those are the things that can trigger the the flow state. When when you're talking about what does flow state look like, I get the the picture of you had told me about the YouTube Japanese handcrafter guy who is doing the the plane, and then at the end of the the hour long video or whatever, he just kind of looks up and smiles at the camera. That's flow state. Like you can apply this to anything, but I think analog things specifically uh, are very much in uh, in alignment with um, just the, the the conditions that create a a flow state. Thinking back to what Chris Bailey said in in how to calm your mind. If you want something to be meaningful, do it analog. If you want something to be efficient, uh, use digital tools. And I think uh, analog just kind of forces you to be fully absorbed in the thing that you are doing. And we've got a whole bunch of tools like the the Monk cards and things like that. Like It seems like there's a whole movement around pushing back against the digital efficiency of the task managers and the planners and all that kind of stuff. Like we realize that the real thing that is limiting us is not our technology. It's the gray matter between our ears and uh, using tools that can kind of just put up some boundaries or some blockers for these digital distractions, which are popping up all over the place. I mean, we've got not just the phones and the computers, but the, the watches, the, the pins, like you, (laughs) you name it internet connected everything everything has a, a potential to interrupt us and, and disrupt that flow and and I, the argument i want to make here you know i'm i'm fully embracing david's hippie mode on this episode uh, if All people right. don't like it they can blame me because i'm the one who suggested this topic but this is really Im- important and uh, it's something that i think the the culture just kind of naturally is is wired to to work against so this is something just like focus that right now we find ourselves really having to fight for. Okay, so I had a, a an experience last night that really informs this idea. Uh, uh, I was in the in the wood shop last night and I was cutting joinery, which is uh, it's very precise work because you want all the pieces of wood to fit together right. It's uh, it's hand hand saws, chisels. It's you know it's very hand intensive and. I wasn't feeling it. And I was thinking about us recording this today. And I'm like, how come I'm not in flow state right now at this moment? And I immediately realized uh, it's because of Napoleon. You know, this movie Napoleon just came out. And uh, my kids are asking me, well, you want to go see it? I'm like, I'm not sure. You know, I I don't go to see many movies. (laughs) I'm really boring. Uh, I said, well, you know, I'm going to watch some YouTube historical stuff on Napoleon and get a better idea of his life. I feel like I don't know enough about him. So while I was out there working, I had I have an old TV out there with an old Apple TV plugged into it, and I had a YouTube video playing about Napoleon's battles. And I realized immediately, I am multitasking. I am listening to the stuff about Napoleon. I'm trying to cut these joints. I'm not doing either one very well. I turned off the TV, and like then two hours disappeared, and the joints got done right. And I woke up this morning thinking, this weekend, I'm taking the TV out of the garage <laughs> because that is definitely a way to torpedo your flow is to throw unnecessary media into the mix. Yeah, it's kind of shocking that something that simple, although you could argue that's kind of drastic too, but uh, something like that single decision 
could be enough for you to never experience that flow state or to experience it every single day. But I do think that that is the power of the choices that are before us. And it's why things like the light phone uh, not only exist, but they also have a solid following. Uh, the light phone, by the way, that's we've talked about that before, so we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, but got that for my my son for his first cell phone. But truth be told, I'm looking at it for myself because uh, I, I recognize the value of being in the flow state, and I also recognize that it's not as simple as just turning on do not disturb on my iPhone. The fact that it is there within my an arm's reach all the time, that does have an impact. Even if I don't pull it out and look at it, it's almost like there's a, a siren song that's playing the entire time that it's within my grasp. Uh, if the more we can put up these intentional boundaries and create intentional friction so that we, when we are focused on something and engage with something, can follow through to the completion of the activity, the better our chances of experiencing the flow, uh, flow state. This episode of the Focus Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash focus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using the code FOCUSED. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, and even the content you create. Squarespace has got everything you need in one place. So here's my dirty secret. I'm a nerd and I love technology and I do all sorts of nerdy things with my technology, but I'm not a web programmer. Every time I get into HTML, I make things worse. That's one of the reasons I love Squarespace. I don't need to dig into all that stuff. I can set up a Squarespace site in under an hour and have online commerce and everything else I need to get rolling with Squarespace. I've got several websites myself. Uh, I've recommended it to my family, my friends, my Coworkers, uh, there's so many people in my life that I've turned on to Squarespace over the years because it is the place to go to set up your online presence. And it all starts with the Squarespace Fluid Engine. That's their next generation website design system that helps you unlock your creativity more easily than ever before. When you start with the best-in-class website template, and then you customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You really can get in there and make it look exactly the way you want without a bunch of coding. You can stretch your imagination online with the Fluid Engine, and it's built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace website. And those professionally designed templates are just that. They've got website templates for every category and use. Plus, you can customize the look and update the content and add features as you need. You can make any Squarespace template do what you want. So your idea, brand, or business stands out on every device. And if you want to know how you're doing, they have built-in analytics. You don't have to deal with a bunch of third parties. You learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective. Like I said earlier, for me, Squarespace is the default answer to how do I build a website. So check it out today at squarespace.com focused for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com focused and use the code focus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that's squarespace.com focused. Use it yourself. Recommend it to your friends, but make sure they use that focus code 
to get that 10% off their first purchase and show their support for the show. And our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Focus Podcast and all of Relay FM. All right, Mike, so I think we've talked about why it's desirable and why we live in a hostile environment for flow state. How do we get there despite that? (laughs) You can't uh, just like manufacture flow. It's one of those things that you kind of have to coax it out. All you can really do is provide the, the right conditions. But that being said, there are some things that we can do to create the right conditions. So Uh, In the book by Mihaly, there's a whole section on the conditions of flow. And there's a visual where you've got the X and Y axis here. And on the Y axis, you have the challenges. So on the bottom end of that, it's a low challenge. And on the top end, it's a high challenge. And then on the X axis, so going from left to right, you've got skills where on the left, it's low and on the right, it's high. And there's, if you look at this visual, there's something that goes from the lower left corner up to the upper right corner, which he calls the channel of flow. That is the place where we want to be. And really, what is this? This is the place where our skills match our challenge. If the challenge is higher than the skills, then that creates above that flow channel, it's all shaded in, that creates anxiety. But if our skills are high and the challenge is low, then it's kind of below that flow channel on the the right side, then that creates boredom. So there are some things that we just have to do. And I would argue that a good strategy for doing those tasks that are kind of boring is to batch them. And then there are some things that are beyond our ability, and those can be uh, stressful, but I would argue the correct approach with that is to, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to figure this out. Maybe this isn't something that I'm going to be doing as part of my day-to-day work as I'm planning my day, but this is one of those things that I know I need to eventually just figure this out. But what we should be doing is we should be looking for the things that are in that flow channel where I would argue that our skills are just below what is required because that feels approachable. It feels like we have what it takes to complete this thing. But if it's just beyond our abilities, then what it causes us to do is get just a little bit outside of our comfort zone. And that's what really causes us to grow. And when we grow, that's when we experience flow. Uh, if we just keep growing, we will keep experiencing the flow state, you know, how he talks about in, in this chapter. But the bottom line is that when you look at this, you can't stay doing the same thing very long because your skills will develop and you'll get bored or it's just going to keep getting harder and it's going to be stressful. Yeah. So you need to challenge yourself, but not too much. If you go too far, then it's not, there's no ability to the flow state. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not going to get you in the flow state, but as your skills improve, you will find flow state. And I'm sorry I'm going to keep using the woodworking analogy because I, but I have the same experiences around screencasting and all kinds of stuff I do. But, you know, who out there makes a living screencasting, right? Um, uh, But like I'm trying to learn a new skill in the shop and I'm not going to achieve flow state in it, but I need to go through that. And it's stressful. 
to figure this out, but eventually I will be able to do that skill in a flow state. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as a way of kind of um, bootstrapping yourself into flow, but it is great once you get there because it, that is the reason you do this stuff, right? I, I often talk about how I'm, I like to create things. And sometimes I wonder like going into the show, is it that I like to create or is it that I like the process of creation? And to me, really the process of the creation is nearly entirely engaged in flow state. So is it that all of this just gets down to me wanting to spend more time in flow state? It could be. Uh, I think there is definitely a connection there between the act of creating and the flow state, uh, specifically with the type of stuff that you and I do where like podcasts or blog posts or YouTube videos, anything like that, the quality comes from the quantity. And so I have to fight my perfectionist tendencies. Talk about something that is anti-flow state. Perfectionism is definitely one of them (laughs) because uh, you'll make something and you'll just keep tweaking it. You know, the act of making the thing that could be, that could trigger a flow state, but then the the editing and the tweaking of the, the thing over and over and over again until you get it just perfect. And that's the, the part that will keep you from getting the feedback loop. And that feedback loop, the minute that you publish something, it's, it's not going to be perfect anyways, no matter how much time you try to tweak it. Uh, but once you get it out there, then you can learn from that and you can figure out, well, this didn't work or I could have done this better. And then you apply that for next time. And this doesn't have to be something that you're keeping a journal of. And I made these seven mistakes and I'm going to address those on the, the next one. Because creating is essentially a, a it's it's an artistic work. There's not a a list of uh, of check boxes that need to be uh, completed in order for you to get a hundred on this <laughs> on the quality scale uh, on this particular thing. You're you're constantly refining your, your craft, and by doing that, the thing just keeps getting better. So I, I do think that if you are uh, creating, then there's maybe a natural bent towards this, but it can be applied to other things as well. So in the book, Mihaly talks about how the average American uh, adult works only 30 hours a week at their actual work. And then they spend an additional 10 hours doing things that are irrelevant to their jobs while they're at the workplace. And the reason for that is it's either stressful or it's boring, <laughs> going back to that, that chart. Uh, if we really are trying to stay in that flow state and we've got an office job, you know, we're, we'll look for the things that are going to extend our abilities and that's going to lead you to do some things and solve some problems that maybe your direct boss or manager didn't directly say, hey, I need you to do this. But those are also the things by learning to see those things and solve those problems that will help you get promoted as you climb the corporate ladder, just as another crazy example. But again, there's lots of different ways that you can apply this if you want. Yeah. I want to go back uh, earlier. You had said a couple points I wanted to follow up on. And one of them was that you can't, you can't take on flow directly or say, Oh, I'm going to get myself in the flow right now. That's just not the way it works. It's a thing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you have you heard that saying where it's like, you can't, it's like an object you can't look at, but you can see in your periphery. That's what flow is. You have to circle around it. You can't just go straight at it. And uh, the thing you had said that comes up in the literature often and, and really is central in my mind to finding flow is creating conditions of flow. And 
getting back to my earlier point of with modern technology and just kind of the fast pace of the world, we generally have conditions that are anti-flow. I mean, your life just in general is going to try and keep you from obtaining flow because of the pace and what's going on. Uh, But I'd like to talk for a moment about creating conditions of flow. And I understand that you need to find work that, you know, challenges you, but not too much. Uh, But I also think there's other things of it. One of the things we've been talking about here is lack of distractions. Uh, Multitasking is, you know, there's a lot of things about multitasking, but one of them is you cannot multitask and obtain flow. In my experience, I have never been able to multitask and find flow. A, a case in point was last night. Just the mere act of having a television playing a program that I was following along with while I was doing something it prevented flow. And uh, I think that that's my experience with this. Maybe there's somebody out there that is a superhuman and can do it multitasking, but I would argue that if you want to obtain flow, don't multitask. <laughs> that is a hundred percent accurate. Um, and again, coming back to the book, he has a whole section on the flow of thought and directing your attention. There's uh, a lot of overlap here with the whole idea of mindfulness meditation, but he talks about how you need to be able to give order to your thoughts and that attention will be attracted to whatever is most problematic at the moment. Um, There's a specific quote in here that to avoid this condition, people are naturally eager to fill their minds with whatever information is readily available. As long as it distracts attention from turning inward and dwelling on negative feelings, they want to avoid that stuff. Uh, So the more that you're able to uh, just focus on one thing, the more likely you are to enter a flow state. So by multitasking, by definition, you're not allowing (laughs) your attention to be focused on one specific thing you're kind of leaning into the thing by jumping back and forth and context switching, leaning into the thing that is sabotaging the the flow. Uh, And I would agree. Maybe there are people who would argue, like I've really been able to just jump between fire and fire one, fire two, fire three using multitasking. And that's when I really come alive. But I think if you were to really look at the activity that's going on in your brain, you would realize that that would be, even if you think that is a flow state, it's a false flow state. Yeah. All right, so avoid multitasking, you know, uh, find difficult work and avoid multitasking. Another uh, obstacle to flow, in my opinion, is my brain. I feel like thinking too much about whatever you're doing can really get in the way of flow. And we, we, we've talked about this on the show quite a bit, but the older I get, the more skeptical I am of my brain. I once heard Alan Watts describe it as the rebellious organ. And I feel like he's right. I feel like a lot of the stuff your brain generates is noise that gets in the way of doing good stuff and making your life count. And I, I know there's people rolling their eyes. I, I can't help it, guys. This, you just get this with me. But the um, <laughs> but I think flow state, uh, your brain can get in the way of flow state. It absolutely can. Do you need me to describe that further or does that make sense? Uh, no, I think that's, that's, it uh, does make sense. Uh, that is absolutely, um, uh, absolutely true. Uh, I don't have anything else to add to that, but I will add another uh, condition that can help people get into a, a state of flow. If uh, you don't have anything else that you want to add to that. No, no, I, I just want to build conditions here. I want to give people an action list to find flow. Okay, cool. 
Well, another thing that you could do is uh, you could move your body. So physical exercise is a, a thing that can condition the, the flow state. Um, he talks, there's a whole section in the book about the body and flow and how the body is a tool to experience flow. So this is kind of a little beyond just the, the, the mind that you were talking about. But um, on page 97, he says, every person, no matter how unfit he or she is, can jump a little higher, can go a little faster, can grow to be a little stronger, and the joy of surpassing the limits of the body is open to all. Now, that doesn't mean that you constantly have to be pushing yourself via an exercise program, but I think just movement. And uh, there's a, a lot of books that I've read that talk about these great thinkers who they got their great ideas when they left the office and they went for a walk. You know, I don't know exactly why that seems to to trigger these things between the the mind and the body, though there there is definitely a a connection there. And so, um, if you are able to move your body, and I, I do think that there is value in some sort of like cardiovascular or aerobic exercise that you're you know if you're running, you're running a little bit further, a little bit faster. If you're lifting weights, you're lifting a little bit more, constantly pushing yourself just a little bit to go beyond your, your limits previously, but you don't have to have this goal of being a, a, a ripped bodybuilder or a, a marathon runner in order to experience the, the flow. That's kind of what he's saying from that quote that I, I shared. Even if you, know, you can't do a single pushup, if you do one, you're on your way towards flow state. And then the next time, maybe you can do two. And uh, I would just encourage people to look for ways that they can incorporate that movement into their day-to-day work. And by doing that, I feel like you're kind of setting yourself up for uh, the right conditions to enter into a flow state. Yeah. And I would kind of add on to that. First of all, I I agree with what you just said, but I also think um, body movement is an opportunity to practice mindfulness and make it easier to find flow when you want it. I think there's even an argument you could find flow in body movement. I, I have recently, through the last three or four months, Daisy and I joined a Pilates club. All right. So let me go down that rabbit hole. Mid fifties guy. Uh, I'm trying to lose some weight, trying to get a little more healthy. So we thought we'd do this together, but I'm the only guy at it. Like every time all my guy friends make fun of me. Oh, you know, I heard you're going to Pilates, you know, <laughs> with all the teachers, you know, and the, uh, but but I like it. And the thing I'm finding that I enjoy about it most is the f- emphasis on breathing. Um, if you actually do Pilates, they, um, they want you to breathe when you like inhale, when you're doing a certain thing and exhale, when you do another thing. And there's this focus on getting lost in getting the breathing right with the exercise. And I find a flow state in that I can really just kind of lose track of time trying to coordinate the movement of my body with the way I breathe. And, and it, it really has started to change my thought about some of the exercise I do to the extent that, like I've stopped listening to podcasts when I take walks. Should I say that on a podcast? I don't know, but um, I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to do the dog walks without listening to anything. And uh, it's just, it's just kind of trying to rewire my brain a bit for some of these physical activities. So I'm with you. Uh, well, one of the, the first action items I jotted down from when I originally read this, this flow book was uh, to try yoga. And that one did not stick for me, but uh, same sort of principle that if you can match up the the breathing, focusing on the breath and the specific body movements, there's a lot of flow benefits that can 
come from that. I guess the version that I kind of landed on for that is uh, I, I like to run. I run several times a week and uh, the runner's high is kind of a version of, of flow where you uh, don't feel like you've got it today and you're thinking about turning back and you push yourself just a little bit further and then kind of without you even knowing it, now you've got this second wind, the endorphins kick in and you feel like you could go another 10 miles. Uh, that's kind of my version of that, but I think everyone should try to find a, a, a version of, of that that's incorporated to physical exercise or body movement. And it doesn't have to be something extreme. It doesn't have to be something that really gets your heart rate up necessarily. So I think that's a great example. Yeah. I, I was just looking, it was 31 years ago that I took my first like meditation lesson. And I think that for me has been a huge benefit in flow and obtaining flow because I have the ability to single track my mind pretty well. It's a muscle I've been building for 31 years. And I think that really makes a difference. But I want to contrast, because you had mentioned earlier, you know, flow and mindfulness. I feel like they're two different things, really. Um, mindfulness is being engaged in your present task regardless of flow. Like, you can be mindful while you're paying your taxes, but I'm not sure you can find flow while paying your taxes. I, it's a different kind of thing. Yeah, they they are definitely related. I would argue that the mindfulness that you're describing there is a precondition for flow. So you can have, uh, you need mindfulness to get to flow, but you won't necessarily get to flow just because you have mindfulness. Exactly. Exactly. So working on the mindfulness muscle is a good way to obtain flow easily. And if, if you have trouble with mindfulness, you're going to have trouble with flow. Yep. Can I give you one more thing that can uh, trigger flow according to Mihaly's research? Sure. All right. Uh, Music can be something that can help you get into a a state of flow. And this is actually coming from that body and flow section. But um, there's, there's two aspects to this. The first is listening to music. If you have the right music that you are listening to in a, in an environment that is it's, it's a piece of your environment that can help channel you towards flow. Um, I tend to choose instrumental music, and specifically, there's a, an artist called Utah, which is pretty much all instrumental. And so I'll just say Yodingus shuffle artist Utah, and that's my my jam whenever I'm going into a long writing session. However, if you can play music, that's even more powerful. So he mentions that while flow can come from listening to music, it's actually created more frequently when you are playing it. And it's not about the performance. It's about the experience. So I know you've got your your saxophone. I've got my guitar in the office here. And uh, I've done these experiments for a while. I need to get back to this where when I'm feeling a little bit stuck or a little bit frustrated you know, just grabbing my guitar and noodling around on it for 10 minutes can be a huge energy boost. And it's almost like it's gotten me halfway back there when I switch back to the the writing task. And there's just something uh, about that. Uh, obviously, it depends how you do it. Not all practice is deliberate practice, but that whole term of deliberate practice where you're practicing a skill that you can't really do. I mean, that's that's the definition of the flow activity that's just beyond your current ability level. You're trying to 
play this this solo passage or play this scale just a, a little bit faster. You can't keep just slopping your way through it, but if you start slow and you start to build up speed and it gets harder and harder, I mean, that's the the perfect type of activity for developing a flow state. Yeah, and it's also, I think, a net positive on energy, like the experience of flow. Like you don't... It, you can get tired out. I mean, like you talked about running, you're going to get physically tired if you run, but there is, there is an energy, I don't know, surplus that comes from flow. I always feel good afterwards. I don't feel tired. I was just thinking another, I think I had an experience of flow just a few days ago. I'm obsessive about the Christmas tree lights as we're recording this. It's, it's uh, late November, early December. And the, um, and like, I don't want them done. I, if when you just have a Christmas tree and you just throw the lights up on it, I find that personally offensive. You know, <laughs> so I'll spend two or three hours lighting the tree every year before the family puts ornaments on it, and that is a flow state for me when I get doing it. You know, like I want everything done just right. I'm super careful, and and I believe I'm in flow state. I believe you are too. Music is a trigger, by the way. I have a my Yule playlist, and that that is part of the experience for me. It's like, I kind of need that in order to do it. So I can absolutely see music as a condition. Uh, this may not be uh, specifically applicable to the, the situation that you just described, but maybe it is. Cause another thing I think that can trigger flow state is being with the right people. And the right people here is the, the condition <laughs> because um, if you are with people who you enjoy spending time with, I feel like it's really easy to enter into uh, to flow state. But it's just because the only objective there is that we're going to spend time together. We're not trying to uh, accomplish a, a task. You're not trying to check the box as quickly as you can for getting the Christmas decorations up. Uh, but I think uh, you can choose your the people that you're going to uh, spend the majority of your discretionary time with. Maybe you can't choose who you're going to work with or something like that. But if you can, you know, looking for people who appreciate the the little things and practice the mindfulness and creating an atmosphere where you can enjoy being together, that can be a thing that that triggers flow. But uh, and then kind of the the opposite end of this, going back to the digital distractions, I feel like uh You've got even one person in your group who is not engaged with the activity that's going on and they're checking their phone all the time. Like it kind of saps all the energy from the, the entire group. So uh, it's got a multi- multiplicative effect there as well. Uh, I think I maybe shared this in a previous podcast, but since I brought up the idea of flow with people, uh, I'll just throw this out there. Uh, one of the things that I did for a while with a, a group of friends was when we would go out to eat, we would put our cell phones in the middle of the table. And the first person that their phone buzzed and they grabbed it to look at what just happened, uh, they were the ones who had to pay for the meal. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, again, intentional friction that you can add to to these group experiences as as well. but. Uh, I think it's it's important to think about who are the people that can help you uh, experience a, a flow state too. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if being with the right people is a condition of flow, but it's a it's a factor. It weighs in, and 
The the thing about flow, like I said earlier, it's nebulous. You can't go straight at it. And by that, I mean, you create all these conditions and you hope it shows up, right? You work on something that's a little challenging. You try to limit um, distractions and and you don't multitask. Try to have the right people around you. But But I think when you talk about people, that is good or bad, right? You can have the wrong people with you and can make flow harder. Uh, and I think there's other items like that. And I think one of them is anxiety. If you've got a lot on your mind, uh, it's going to be very difficult to obtain a flow state. Like if you're worried about something at work or you've got a family member that's sick or something and you're, you're, you've got that on your mind, it's, it's harder to get there. But um, what you find is if you can get there when you have anxiety is actually the anxiety disappears while you're in it. It's a way to kind of like escape that. I mean, I've, I'm not a big drinker, but I know, you know, some people drink alcohol to get away from their problems. This is a much healthier way to do it, right? You know, mm-hmm. we'll create something in a flow state, you get the same effect. Um, because, but you, you know, but if you have enough problems, you're not going to get to that state. Yeah. Now you kind of bring up a, an interesting point there because uh, the flow state itself is not good or bad. It's kind of amoral. And that's one of the things that Mihaly talks about in the book is it's kind of a tool that you can use for good or bad. And uh, the picture that I got uh, from what you were describing with alcohol is like somebody that is trying to break that. Maybe they go to an AA meeting and those AA meetings are designed to recreate the the conditions that they were craving, which most of the time was not the the drink. It was the the socialization. And um I, I think that the uh the flow state itself, we can, you know, aspire to this, but ultimately uh we do need to make sure that the things that we are doing that are going to get us into flow state are in alignment with the the vision and the values. That's really the only moral judgment we can uh, apply to this, but it's something that I think everyone should think yeah. about. It's not just noticing, well, this thing triggered the flow state, so I guess I'll do that more. Like, Ask yourself, is that really the type of flow state that you want to, to be in? Uh, I could be in flow state playing video games, but if that's not in alignment with my vision and values, then the argument could be made that I shouldn't be playing video games, or maybe not as much as I I want to because that's what my my body like when I sit down and I play Zelda for three hours like it, it feels good. Uh, you do have to take that into consideration. How is this serving the the bigger picture of what I want my life to be about? Yeah, I feel like I need to clean up that thing about the drinking because I'm definitely out of my comfort zone here. But the, the what I was talking about is like I, I in the legal profession, it's a stressful job and there's a huge problem with substance abuse. And I got lots of CLE on it over the years that lawyers, you're stressed out about your clients, your cases, you're trying to win your cases and get paid and do all the stuff that comes with being lawyers. And a lot of them resort to substance abuse. Um, But I met a lot of lawyers over the year that are like landscape painters and photographers and woodworkers, and they have all this stuff they do. And I feel like that is another way you cope is by finding flow and kind of setting aside the worries of the day. And that's what I was kind of going for there in artfully. But the separate point you made is absolutely correct. I mean, just because you reach flow states, great for you, but also, you know, 
be on the light side of the force, not the dark side of the force in the process. You know, that's a separate, separate issue. Yeah, there's definitely a a dark side to flow and uh, we should look to uh, paint the happy little trees just like Bob Ross. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know that there's a dark side to flow. I think flow is ambivalent to the dark and the light side, but you can use it as a tool um, on both sides of the force, if that that makes sense. So uh, that's a separate question we're not really addressing today, but um, I I feel like we have done a pretty good job of laying out some conditions that you can create. If this is something that you're not familiar with, I feel like everybody's familiar with it. We've all experienced it at one time or another, but we never really probably thought about it enough to figure out, well, that was good. How can I get back there? And that's what we have Mahali to think for, because he really did kind of quantify it a bit and give us some scientific research and the ability to, to try and recreate this very beneficial thing. Um, I had a couple other thoughts on flow, Mike. I just thought they're kind of random, but I had them here. I thought I'd like to get them out while we've got it on. Um, one of them is uh, I feel like it's, you know, we talked about the difference, you know, mindfulness and flow. I think Buddhist enlightenment is another thing. People, you know, feel like this idea of enlightenment is that what flow is. No, it's not. I think that is a much harder concept and you can, you know, it's it's something entirely different than flow. So I don't think you should try and confuse those. And I feel like anyone can obtain a flow state with the right conditions if, if you start building those muscles. In terms of my experience of the flow, the I said earlier in the show, but I want to reiterate, you don't hear your inner voice um, when you're in a state of flow. At least I don't. And I know that's a thing a lot of people struggle with is you've got that little evil version of yourself and your brain telling you, you can't do this. You're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. That goes away when you're in flow state for me. And then I, then I asked the hippie question, is the flow state, the ultimate expression of humanness? Like, are you being the arate, the best version of yourself when you're in a state of flow? I don't know if that's true or not, but I definitely could make the argument for it. <laughs> well, I think uh, in terms of, of arate and the, the roles, uh, whatever you happen to be doing, it's probably the best version of that role at the moment. <laughs> uh, if you're able to get into flow chopping wood, you are doing a better job chopping wood than you would be otherwise. But yeah. um, I suppose it does require uh, a little bit of of uh, perspective to know whether this is really the the best version of this, which is actually uh, the thing I was going to add to this is that I, I feel like flow should uh, be coupled with a reflection process doesn't have to be a quarterly personal retreat sort of a thing but you get out of the state of flow you realize oh that felt great you should kind of take stock of what was the actual outcome from that state of flow Uh, what did that do and is that okay is that a, a good thing is that a bad thing would i want a different outcome because if so then maybe i got to put some boundaries around some of the the factors that that led to that flow state because to your point you know it it definitely is amoral it's not good or bad but um i also am thinking of jesse j anderson when we were talking to him and uh, his book about adhd and how flow can get you so absorbed in the thing that you're doing and then four hours later you look up and you missed uh, an important meeting or or something like that so um there's got to be some boundaries placed uh, around this too and and we got to make sure that we're using it um, to serve our purposes as a, opposed to just 
this state that we're trying to get to at at whatever the cost. Yeah, and I would Mike talked about the back end. I would talk about the front end to say, as you're planning your day and your week, look for opportunities to pursue flow. I, like woodworking for me is one. Every time I go and go to the bench, there's an opportunity. But when I do recordings and I produce stuff as Max Sparky, I feel like there's an opportunity for flow there. When I'm processing email, I know that there isn't. It doesn't work that way for me, and I don't think most people. So there are, you know, it's almost like a maker-manager distinction, but look at the stuff you're doing and say, oh, you know, I could probably find flow working on that closing statement or working on that, re- on that you know, dissertation section. And, like, look at your day and your week and look at opportunities for flow and then try to build conditions for it. We've talked about on the show the, you know, productivity prime time. Sometimes you're just better and you're flowing better in the morning or the evening or if you're Mike Vardy at 2 a.m., whatever your prime time is, try to put your flow-related work into those blocks and see if you can't nudge it along. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that was our discussion of flow. We have more for the show. Uh, but Mike, anything that, that you want to say about flow as we finish up this part? No, uh, other than I would just consider your daily routine and the things that happen throughout your day and uh, start to look for the places where maybe you can make some adjustments and create the conditions for flow to happen. And uh, focus is a lot of the skills that help protect your focus are going to be the things that are going to facilitate flow. But uh, don't try to change everything, but maybe just try to put a couple of boundaries up and create some intentional friction against uh, unwanted distractions. And I would add that I feel like flow is the payoff for being productive, mindful, and focused. I think that if you want to pursue these things, people say, well, why are you doing all of this stuff? I think the payoff in a lot of, a lot of ways for me personally is flow. It's the ability to exercise my arete, my humanness, and do be the best version of myself when I do the things that are the most important. This episode of Focus is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've used Indeed several times in the last several months as both the integrator at a digital marketing agency, and then once I left that job doing some operational consulting, I've helped people use Indeed to find the right person for their role. Indeed really does make it simple, and every single time I've helped people set up Indeed for themselves, they are amazed at the quality of the candidates that reply to their job listing. If you're looking for the right person to help take your team or organization to the next level, Indeed is the place that you want to go. You can't afford to make a bad hire. Just think about all of the time and 
investment that you make in training up somebody to do the right job. And if you don't have the right person, you can try to shoehorn it to make it work, but it never works out in my experience. You're better off just getting quality candidates who are custom fit for your specific role. I highly recommend Indeed to anyone who needs to hire. And leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more that you use Indeed, the better it gets. So join myself and more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D. Just go to indeed.com slash focused right now and support the show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash focused. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Focus podcast and all of FM. So, Mike, uh, let's talk about shiny new objects, or in my case, a shiny old object. What have what you been buying lately? Well, I finally got something that I backed on Kickstarter, which is the Lens Ultra full kit from a company called Shiftcam. Uh, Shiftcam, I have a, a, a grip, like a DSLR style grip that you can put your iPhone in this holder. And uh, this is actually what I've been using to shoot all the B-roll for my uh, YouTube videos. Yeah. And uh, the Lens Ultra kit is basically a bunch of high quality lenses that are designed for your phone. There's a, a case that you can get for the phone itself, and it's got uh, a little bit bigger camera bump. And on the telephoto and the macro lenses, it has these raised rims, which are threaded. So uh, the link that I put in the, the notes there, it shows this aluminum style briefcase, the kind that you would see in a spy movie handcuffed to somebody because it contains something really important as they walk down the hallway. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's got your your Kaizen foam with all the the lenses in there, and these actually just screw right onto the the uh, the iPhone case, and uh, they let you do some pretty crazy things with the uh, the iPhone camera. There's a fisheye, there's wide angles, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. So I literally got this yesterday. Uh, I have the case on my phone. I can't wait to try out the lenses themselves, but um, I feel like this is kind of cool. I know stuff like this has existed previously, but the cameras are so good in the iPhones that having some lenses that allow you to to achieve some different looks and some different shots. I mean, if you're a content creator, this is probably all that you need. Yeah. I mean, we're getting to that point, right? Uh, where you don't need the fancy SLR anymore. And, and the iPhone already has so many options. Like you've got three lenses built in if you've got the pro, but then you add filters and additional lenses and you've got quite a, f- a video studio that you can probably put in your pocket or at least your bag, a small bag. Exactly. I mean, I-, I used to shoot all the B-roll with the actual DSLR camera. My, my wife has one because she was a professional photographer and we would have to bring a tripod. And if we did any sort of movement, I would have to stabilize it after the fact. And the results were... N- were not as good as the iPhone. I've even got the 14. I don't even have the 15, but that with the action mode turned on, 
You can make these real smooth looking uh, moving videos. Looks like you've got it on a gimbal or something. And now with uh, some lenses that can change, you know, focal lengths and and the the look of some of this stuff, it's really powerful. This is really nice. I I also bought a camera. Uh, I bought I, I had a collection of cameras around here that I was using for various efforts. You know, we do some vlogging at Disneyland, and I do a bunch of shooting here. So I had a couple here that weren't getting used. So I sold them and I took the proceeds and I bought a DJI Pocket 3, which is the new gimbal-based camera mount system from DJI. It's got a one-inch sensor on it, shoots great low light. It doesn't have the lens variety that you're going to have with your set and your iPhone. But to me, it's like a that combined with the iPhone is a really great video set because the dji has the gimbal in it i can shoot walking video it does some things the iphone doesn't do that well and it's got a built-in wireless microphone and the little uh, wireless you know microphone unit that you can put on your shirt and i'm going to be doing more disneyland vlogging because i just thought it would be fun that would be something to do um so i uh i wanted to have a better camera for that but i feel like that combined with the iphone for me is a very good rig and i'm using the dji for all my b-roll so like you i've kind of simplified the camera rig yeah it kind of depends on what your desired output is going to be but for me it's youtube and uh i don't know that shooting everything in 4k is really going to add a, a whole lot of value to the stuff that i do so i tend to shoot with uh the in 4k with the action mode turned on which isn't quite 4k and what that gives me is a scaled down version once I export it to 1080p that allows me to kind of zoom in on different areas. So that's kind of a tip or a hack that I picked up from Wally Chazinski at uh, MacStock a while back is uh, you want to shoot in the highest possible resolution with your, your raw stuff. But then what that allows you to do is take different shots from the same, same uh, shot. Yeah. You could have one that's in this part of the shot and another thing that's in the other part of the shot and you can zoom and you're not going to lose any resolution as long as it's higher than the the uh, the output. Yeah, that's a screencaster trick too. You you shoot in high resolution, it allows you to zoom in on the screen and you don't lose you don't lose uh pic, you don't get pixelation. Yeah. Uh, I bought one other thing, Mike. Uh, we had Black Friday. I went in and bought a year's worth of Ugmunk cards, about 12 boxes. <laughs> so you had a <laughs> nice. deal. And, uh, you know, I, the funny thing is it, the Ugmunk cards, uh, there's the daily cards, which are white, and then they have the someday cards, which are gray, and then I think they're called future cards, which are dark brown. I don't use all of the uh, – every month I use all the white cards and a few of the others, so I'm getting a, a large stack of those. But my wife – likes to use the brown ones in her for her work projects. She's she's starting mm. to see the light, so she writes down what she needs to get done on a work project. So I found somebody to to take some of those off my hands and that made me feel comfortable buying a year's worth. So I'm I'm in for another year. <laughs> awesome. That's a, a great product. Um I actually have the Ugmunk analog, but I don't use the cards <laughs> because I am a uh, paper snob because and, fountains. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, what are you reading right now, Mike? Uh, I am just finishing up a book called "Who Not How" by Dan Sullivan and Doctor Benjamin Hardy. Uh, I've talked before on the podcast about the concept of the gap and the gain. That actually came from Dan Sullivan, and he's got another pretty popular concept that he teaches to 
business owners specifically uh, around who, not how, which uh, the basic idea here is if you are a business owner and you're trying to get people to help you grow your business, you need to hire the right people and then get out of their way. Let them figure out how to get something done because chances are they will get it done better than you. That's a very simplified version of the the concept, and it doesn't have to just be for big business owners. Uh, for example, one of the things that I'm thinking about as I'm reading this book is identifying what are the bottlenecks for me growing my creator business. Well, if I could get more YouTube videos out, then I could grow my email list faster, and that would grow my business faster. But I do all of the editing for my YouTube videos. As long as I'm doing all of the editing, I am the bottleneck here. I have lots of ideas and it's easy for me to sit down and write the scripts, but putting it all together is a heavy lift. However, I have a couple of kids at home who like YouTube and like using computers and like making things. So why don't I pay them, help them develop these skills? And I'm sure that if I took the time to sit down and figure out, you know, this is the the process when I, this is the kind of look I'm going for and these are the transitions to use and they should be this long and, you know, just thinking through the guidelines, I'm sure uh, giving them a little bit of clarity and then letting them run with it, they would probably end up with videos that are better than the ones that I'm able to make. So it's not just something I'm, I've been thinking about, but it's a, it's a pretty good book. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as the, the gap in the gain. I think that one's more broadly applicable, but I do recommend this one too. Yeah, I don't read books nearly as fast as you. So I don't know if the next time we talk about this, I'll be on to another one or not. But right now I'm doing my second reading of Rick Rubin's The Creative Act, A Way of Being. And man, this is a good book. But on my second reading, I am doing the stuff. If you're one of those people that wants to keep your book pristine, you are gonna you might want to just forward a few minutes because I'm writing all over the inside of this book and I'm actually engaging with Rick in the in the white space of the book where i my thoughts versus his thoughts but he's just so clever and he has such a great idea about creativity and this you know rick rubin is known for being a record producer and uh, this is not a book about producing records (laughs) i think this is a book anybody could benefit from and uh, i i'm just really enjoying this book again i read it once and the second reading is even better but i'm going to take my time this time going through it well, that's definitely a good book, and it warms the conkles of my heart to hear that you are engaging with Rick Rubin as reading as you're reading the book, <laughs> yeah. because that's one of the things that I picked up from uh, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler, and Joe and I advocate for that on the the Bookworm podcast. Is it is just a, a conversation that you're having with the the author, and uh, I I think Mortimer Adler would uh, commend you for writing in the book. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I've gone back and forth because I, I have read hundreds of nonfiction books on my Kindle, but uh, between you and Chris Bailey and some other folks, I've been trying to read physical books again. And you have to understand the background of this for me is I went to law school where you were carrying like 60 pounds of books with you regularly. And when digital stuff showed up and I could get all that on a Kindle, there was a lot of benefit to that. But, you know, now I largely read books at home. I don't need to carry them around. And um, so I, I'm, I'm starting to slowly come around to you guys on it. And uh, one of the advantages, definitely, you can write all over the thing. 
a friend of mine was here and I showed him a quote out of the book and he's like, how could you do this to your book? I'm like, how could you not do this to your book if you really like it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going back at Rick Rubin and I, I honestly think this is going to take me a month to get through this at the rate I'm going. So I'm not sure if I'll be talking about this book again in, in the next show or not, but uh, it's, it's a good book. Rick Rubin, the creative act. I like it. All right. Well, we are the Focus Podcast. I hope we inspired you today to to try and make a little bit more effort to find yourself in the flow state. Try to use some of our tips and and create the conditions necessary and experience it a little bit more yourself. It really is a state of humanness, as I was talking about in the show. And we'd love to hear about it. We've got a forum over at talk.macpowerusers.com. You can talk about your experiences with flow state. How do you get there? How do you stay there? What are the things that that force you out of it? I'm sure we all have our our own lists, so we'd like to hear about that as well. Thank you to our sponsors, our friends over at Squarespace and Indeed. On Deep Focus today, Mike and I are going to talk about focus and email, something that's on my mind right now. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.